does he? He's two and oh, a half. Oh, sweet. My God, what's his name? Yeah. It's Duncan. Duncan, yes. Duncan Dutton. <laughs> Duncan amazing. Duncan. Is, we, full name is Duncan Donut. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Ah, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. Hello and welcome to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking excellent. I'm Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. Pay it no mind. Today we are doing a deep dive into not one, but two world-changing activists. This is the first of two sister episodes about two women who demonstrated world-changing inspirational courage, tenacity and love in the face of near-constant hatred and abuse. They never received the recognition they deserved in their lifetimes, but they are now upheld as two of the most important human rights activists of all time. Our subjects are, respectively, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And with us to discuss Mm. these iconic women is an extraterrestrial space vegetable, a compare, a parodist, a powerhouse vocalist with a phenomenal range and one of the London drag scene's most exciting artists. Since they crash-landed to Earth in 2018, they have been delighting audiences, being heralded as a ginger fever dream by Time Out, all in the name of some very... Very serious silliness. It is the absolutely captivating Carrot! Yeah! Oh, what an amazing introduction! <laughs> Hi, oh. darling! It was, this is all worth it for that alone. That was so good. Good, we can, we can sign off. We can log off now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, That's thank given my you. ego you a big boost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need it, don't we, at the moment, doll? If we can't pep we each other up. <laughs> we Getting each other on Zoom and podcasting so we can make ourselves all feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what I did before this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> List them for me. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely to have you love it. And, and it is an oral medium but I must say Carrot is looking superb stunning. oh absolutely stunning repping the colour yes the carrot vibes the mm. orange jumper the green headband Ugh. it's like yeah it's a it's a branding thing no brand gotta have a brand gotta have a gimmick <laughs> You've got to have a gimmick, as indeed. Oh, yeah, and you've taken your gimmick as the colour orange. That is that's broad. <laughs> like, you've really pulled the rug out from under some people's feet. <laughs> oh, no one saw that coming. No. And look, we're off, to, we're off to the races. We've had a gypsy reference within the first five minutes of this podcast, so I think, yeah. I think we can all agree it's going to be absolutely fabulous. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Ah. So we were just chatting off air about how Carrot is going to be launching their own podcast. So, babe... Do tell us a little bit more about what that's going to be. Sure. Uh, the NB show is a live cabaret show normally. It's a variety show um, where the lineup is made up of all gender non-conforming people or non-binary people, whether the acts are non-binary or the people that play the acts are non-binary. It's all different things. And it's normally a live show and um, it's intended to be monthly. But obviously we can't have live shows at the moment. Uh, so instead, I've decided to make a monthly podcast Amazing. where I invite I invite a, a non-binary human being to come on with me and talk about uh, someone from history who is non-binary. And we sort of 
talk about how um, non-binariness has always existed, will always exist, and how by destroying the binary, we destroy the patriarchy. Ugh. Consider me subscribed. Absolutely. That's a full subscribe. That's a full subscribe for me. Fantastic. all our listenership, I'm sure. So amazing. We're going to talk about Marsha today and the next episode is going to be on Sylvia. But mm-hmm. before we do, um, we... Now, Tom again was uh, harassing me off air for giving the questions a capital T and a capital Q. But I think they deserve that gravitas. The questions... <laughs> Yes, that we, that can we you hear those them. capitals in yes. the voice? Are they fully intentional? The down on the script today is the cues. It's <laughs> <laughs> been shortened. Well, I'm going to ask you the questions, Carrot. And mm. I'd like to ask you first off, I will always love you. Who is your ride or die diva? Yes. So this is just before I answer, kind of separate to Marsha. And... <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Take cool. it as red. <laughs> Uh, okay, the questions. Yes, my ride or die diva. I think I will have to go for uh, Britney Spears. Uh, great choice, excellent choice. Um, I mean, recently she's obviously been in the media a lot because yes. of the release of Framing Britney Spears, a uh, fantastic documentary looking at her life and how she was forced into this conservative. Tourship. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the word? It is, isn't Not it? Not a conservatoire. Uh, no, very was... different. No, no, it's like, no, she wasn't. <laughs> one is Fame Academy, one is very much a human rights violation. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's so yeah, hard to so tell the difference ah. sometimes. <laughs> that would be very different. Ah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so yeah it's all about that and her life and how she's actually just uh, what I like about Britney is that she's very like committed to her performances they're very like sexy and serious and she's like such an incredible dancer performer Mm -hmm. singer sometimes (laughs) Uh, and um, but she's also kind of goofy yes like she's kind of like a bit weird and like a bit like not afraid to be a bit strange yeah i love that about her she's a massive goofball yeah. isn't yeah. she yeah she, yeah when she's when, when she let loose when she's let when she's allowed to let loose i feel like she's got so much like zany energy that's when you get yeah. it, it feels like she's so um it, it feels very pure when she yeah. does it you kind of go like exactly. oh that that's you that's yeah. not in any way she's not like affecting a, a zaniness or like i'm mad me persona yeah, yeah, yeah. it just comes out every now and then you go oh there you are yeah <laughs> exactly yes you know there's yeah, a conspiracy theory about the voice as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know this. Apparently, well, I don't know, because there's quite a lot of, like, deep, <laughs> deep state um, Britney theories, like the, the, uh, <laughs> the, um, the fact that she had, like, 911 written in her eyelashes and stuff. Like, some of that, I think, is... <gasps> yeah, apparently, if you look at some of the Instagrams, you can see... <laughs> 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 Which I think undermines the, you know, the the, the what's going on slightly. It's like we need to keep it in proportion. But apparently, because that that voice was something she was yes. de- developed and told to develop to be sexier because her natural voice is like is much more like Christina's. Oh, ah. apparently that's the- yeah. I mean, in this in this um. In this documentary, there's some some videos from her of her singing when she was very young, yeah. like when she first started singing. And I I, d- I remember watching it, thinking this is like this sounds like Judy Garland, like it's not it does not sound like Britney Spears Definitely. sounds now. 
yeah, so the- you could yeah there's definitely some truth in there there must be in terms of how produced her voice has become 100 percent. yeah because you there's that video of her at a, um, a pageant when she sings love can build a bridge i think and she's just and she yeah she, she does sound like judy garland she's got all that beautiful vib which i think gets mm. more constricted i guess when you're told what to do oh mm. britney yeah. i love her so much lesser oh. free britney free britney Bria. the second question if wow. I could turn back time, which diva would you send into which historical situation and why? <laughs> this is such a bizarre question. <laughs> bizarre <laughs> or important? <laughs> yes. So, and uh, warrants a bizarre answer. Good. Love <laughs> um, it. But this is just the first thing that came to my mind when I s- said it, right? So Henry VIII w- said it when I read it. Yeah. <laughs> so Henry VIII yeah. was a bit of a dick, right? Yeah, massive, yeah massive ass so i thought what like is there a diva i can like send back to have a go at him great thank you mm. love this um so i thought um kathy burke <laughs> <laughs> you like it oh, i love it yeah. i could just imagine her being like sorry out what are you doing that for? Put that lovely yeah, young girl literally. down. What are you up to? Oh my god, that is such a good shout. Yeah, just that, I just want to see that. I want to see that happen. So yeah, just I, I'd like go. to see like a seven-part series in which she goes around all of the wives and gives them a pep talk about yes. how they like need to like you know be their own woman and like really. Yeah. And in the seventh one, they have a final showdown, and it's Henry versus Kathy. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Can we petition to have a prologue written into six, which is Kathy Burke? <laughs> <laughs> or even she just like like Dolly in nine to five yes! and just welcomes you into the theatre. It's just like, right. yeah, it's me, Kathy Burke. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. Just to let you know, if I'd been there, it would have been a lot better. Now this can't Henry VIII. <laughs> I just sorted out that cunt. <laughs> I'm with the show. <laughs> That is such a good... And you're right. You took the bizarre brief and you ran with it, which I'm yeah. all over. <laughs> there you go so that's what i've gone for incredible well i come to my third question uh who runs the world uh, which diva would you give the nuclear codes to um this kit is without a doubt lady gaga oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep yeah. um like the sort of the way she i think she the way she speaks in public is kind of ethereal already and very leadership e yes and i feel like she makes she's been through a lot in her life she has which informs her choices and decisions and i think that she would be very responsible and uh fair leader hard agree uh, who would not like blow up any planets or people no good yeah she wouldn't be reactionary yeah. she would be calm I'm, I'm i'm so on board with that one as seen by the structuring of her career and astride um things like country and western but also dance pop etc so exactly it's yeah. a real fairness it's a meet down that she's a biden candidate yeah exactly and she like um she's just sang at the the inauguration oh. obviously that performance was like the stuff that she did in it there was little like digs at Mike Pence and like mm. just things going on in that performance the passion there the passion the pointing to the flag she's got all the signifiers there I think of like a 
a great leader. I fully agree. <laughs> I mean, I've got two things I want to address. <laughs> the brooch, I loved it. The dark yes. brooch. Yes. Amazing. Now, if she had been in possession of the codes, she could have had them like kind of snarled up inside the brooch there. Oh, lovely. No one would have thought to look in it. No. Exactly. They always think it's yeah. in a briefcase. She'd probably carry a briefcase. She probably would. But there'd be nothing in it. Just snacks, maybe. Yeah. Snacks. yeah. It would be a, a red herring. It would be a red herring. <laughs> she, maybe just a red herring. Which in her, <laughs> earlier in her career, she would fully have worn. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, the other thing I want to address with Gaga is I just had a vision of her playing Evita, uh, playing Eva Peron. Now, oh, okay. Wow. Now, I just think <laughs> Evita, obviously Madonna's put a mark on it. And <laughs> I do have a lot to say about some sometimes Gaga overstepping the mark with wanting to step into those shoes. However, how good would she be? <laughs> she would be good. She'd be she amazing. Be. If they're going to do a I'd reboot, oh, I'd watch it every day. I just think that's yeah. too dangerous. <laughs> too dangerous. Too dangerous. Yeah. I just think that is as a step too that's far. Poking the bear, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. she, she's, <laughs> she's on the radar already. I think <laughs> just think really like it's been quite calm of late. <laughs> Because yeah. I think Madonna's been like, you know what? I'm going to stay here in Portugal. You do yeah. your thing, Gaga. You know, save the nation, etc. But if she if she does, does a if she does that, that's too much. That's too. Far. That's a piss take in it. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that brings me to my next question: Material yes. Girl. So obviously, I mean, we're now we're now we're just openly trolling Madonna. Um, but what would be on your rider? Uh, on my rider is um, margaritas. Yes. Lovely. Uh, tequila just makes everything more enjoyable. Lovely. <laughs> it makes you happy. Apart, apart from the morning after. Exactly. Um, um, and a, I would bring, I would want there to be like a professional dog sitter so that <gasps> oh, I can lovely. bring Duncan with me to yes. my shows and like know that he'll be safe, <gasps> um, which is my little doggy. Oh. And, um, and I've got someone to tell me I look fabulous before I go on stage. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's you're not just getting those people. Reece, that's what my boyfriend does. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a job your boyfriend and your dog, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some booze. <laughs> I need booze, my boyfriend and my dog. Hard relate. I think right. if you can't get that, then there's no. something wrong with the backstage provision. Yeah, the, the rider is not adequately <laughs> providing, <laughs> is it? Absolutely. Can the Phoenix, the club, take note for when the MB returns? Please yes. let Carrot's boyfriend and the dog backstage. I think also yes, you can probably please. run to bringing your golden microphone in yes. tribute oh, to Gaga yeah. herself and her golden microphone. Ooh. Again. <gasps> yeah. A subliminal message, like you were saying. She's sending the messages. You were sending us a message with the golden mic and we didn't even pick up on it. Yeah, I d it's not just that it was like the cheapest one that I like the look of on Amazon. <laughs> not that at all. No. Don't know why you thought that. No. <laughs> that <Ridiculous>. was incorrect. <laughs> Amazing. Now, my next question is slightly less bizarre, uh, and it's kind of rooted in, in sort of the project of this podcast. Is from we're trying to work out what does diva mean? Has it become a term that's been co-opted by the patriarchy to essentially you know, keep us all in our place. Uh, but mm. what, what does being, what does diva mean to you? Yeah, well, I did think that when I, th it means many things, I think. Yeah. But when it first comes to mind, there's the kind of misogynistic stereotype mm. of a, a woman sort of being bossy yeah. or being, um, there isn't really any other word than in the, a patriarchy, Triarchy way to say a bitch. Yeah, like, mm. that's what that's what 
you know, I don't believe in the use of the word like that, but I think that that they're kind of um, synonymous in some ways. Um, But I'd see it more as a woman who knows what they want Mm -hmm. or someone, anyone, a person who knows what they want. They know their worth and they show it off. I think it's someone who believes in themselves and isn't afraid to enter a room with conviction and present themselves unapologetically. And I think perhaps that sometimes that then can go too far Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. be someone who thinks they are better than others, someone who has maybe too much self-worth. Right, And um, I mean, you could call them a diva, someone like that. I I think I'd probably just call them a dickhead. be honest and um, i love it so, yeah i think that yeah it's a, it's someone who if you want to use it in a not misogynistic way <laughs> who knows their worth and shows it off and believes in themselves and has conviction i love that lovely fantastic <clears throat> and as a singer would you do you think we can reclaim it and and to, for it to mean something technical as well just be like someone who can re- who's really got the chops maybe yeah, yeah. i mean someone who someone yeah it's like someone who knows their talents then i guess as well yeah yeah who's confident in their talents or has talents yes they can show off like singing yeah maybe in terms of the singing thing was Mm. it a specific tone or was it just a position to sopranos isn't it it's normally the the kind of you think like a maria callas or Mm. somebody yeah you imagine a diva you imagine someone loud yeah so you you don't imagine like like little hipster girl with a ukulele. It's not a John Lewis ad. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, Lewis. exactly. No. It's like it's you. You're a Christina Aguilera with a full band. You're a Shirley <laughs> yeah. Bassey. Yeah. You know, like yeah. a. It's a big voice. It's a big. It has a decibel personality. Rating. Gaga, not yeah. Golding. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Gaga, not Golding. That's a good hashtag for this. <laughs> there we go. The episode's got a hashtag already. Finally. <laughs> Fantastic. And Carrot, have you ever been a diva? Go on. Yes. Oh, go on. Definitely. <laughs> always. Always. I think I've always been a diva in many different ways. Um, when, like, I th- remember being in school and being part of, like, the school productions. And um, there's this one memory that sticks in my mind of... Um, that we were like rehearsing the closing number of one of the shows. I think it was a pantomime even. And the teachers just kept like telling us, you need to be louder. You need to be louder. And I think I, at one point I was like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you need to fuck off. <laughs> I'm being loud. And, and I remember my teacher actually came to me like the week after and was like, yeah, I saw you say that. And I thought, what a little diva. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, In an admiring way? That was when I was, yeah, I mean, quite, she found it hilarious. Like right, she was right. like, yeah. about it. And I was, I was too. So I think that was probably the first time that I've been called a diva. That was probably age 14. <laughs> but I mean, I, th- I feel like I've always been one. Apparently, for my fourth birthday, I asked for a tutu, yes. uh, like demanded one because I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to look like um, whichever one of the Tinky Winkies wears a tutu. Oh yes, it is Tinky Winky, is it? Or is it no, Tinky Winky. Oh has no, a Teletubbies. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, is it 
Lulu? Lala? Lula. Not Lulu. <laughs> Tinky Winky has a handbag. Yeah. And a, a little triangle. Yeah. Dipsy's yeah. the green one. Poe's got a circle, but no other I think it's Lala. No accessories. I think it's Lala. It's probably Lala, yeah. <laughs> Sounds right, yeah. Sounds and not right. one of the tink- one of the Teletubbies, yeah. not the Tinky Winkies. <laughs> That's how much Tinky Winky owns that brand. <laughs> <laughs> they are all just her backing singers. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> Tinky Winky is the diva. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100, absolutely. <laughs> she, had, she was a business bitch. She had a, a briefcase. <laughs> Getting shit done. I loved how you amended asked to demand did for as well. Yes. I demanded a tutu. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I can. Im- I think I was a bit of a nightmare as a kid, and I think that that's like you know that that divaness has carried through a bit. Incredible. Um, I think that nowadays it's you kind of need to have that diva energy yes. if you're a cabaret or drag performer. Mm. I think you know what we said earlier about having a talent and showing it off is true. But I think also you, if you have enough conviction and confidence, actually how much talent you have doesn't matter that much. CF Gemma Collins. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like, and many other people, you know, throughout, especially recent history, the, if you're confident and you're yourself, but then there's loads of drag performers who are that, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they do make up, and they just go out and talk for a living, pretty much. <laughs> and so I think it's a big part of drag in general, I think, is just having that that diva, unapologetic, announcing your presence. When you walk in a room, everyone has to feel like you're there. I love that. And notice you. Yeah. Like part of you, part of the armor of being a drag performer is is, the, is that energy from within of knowing mm. like I know my worth. I'm going to step out on this stage and I'm going to show you my worth. And if you don't like it, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Oh, yeah. I love it. Perfect. Ah, oh, fantastic. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, those were Sorry. the questions. <laughs> the cues. <laughs> so now we can have the break for a little break for everybody. Fabulous, shall we? I think we shall. Lovely. And we're back. Uh, we are back, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, all back. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. We're back. So, uh, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into the life of Marsha P. Johnson. Let us. Uh, oh, so, uh, just to say up top, we will be quoting some historical material which uses terms which are no longer in use. Um, I will also be using, very briefly, Marsha and Sylvia's dead names. Um, and I'll try and provide a trigger warning for each use. And there will be references to child sexual exploitation and abuse and sexual assault, which, again, I'll try and, like, flag up every time just so we're all aware. But it's a pretty light-hearted one, otherwise. It's, yeah, apart yeah. from that, it's a Apart from that, it's lovely. <laughs> Strap in, guys. <laughs> no, it's... Um, it, I think that's something to, to say, though. There, there, is, there are some really terribly, awfully sad parts to these women's stories but some incredibly uplifting ones as well so Mm-mm. we'll find we'll find the the chinks of light in the darkness yeah. together <laughs> so Marsha p johnson was born in elizabeth new jersey on august the 24th 1945 to working class parents malcolm michaels and alberta claiborne she was raised in the african methodist episcopal church and remained devoutly and idiosyncratically religious throughout her entire life her faith evolving to encompass slightly more catholic elements such as praying to patron saints and making devotional offerings at altars. In a 1992 interview featured in Michael Cassino's film, Pay It No Mind, she said that Jesus Christ was the 
only man she could ever really trust because he never laughed at her. He took her very seriously. Which is really rather lovely, isn't it? I love that. I know, it's gorgeous, isn't it? It's funny how, like, I've found it a few times throughout, like, researching queer people throughout history where they actually find a lot of Mm. comfort in religion. Mm. Where, Where religion can often persecute queer people. Like, actually people find a lot of comfort in their faith sometimes yes. which is is nice yeah it is it's really nice and as you say so many of those stories are dark and um re- about rejection and what and i think there is there is darkness and rejection in her story but with her personal relationship with the church she just made it what it was she made it work for her and yeah pick the bits that work for her which mm. you know that's what religion should be i guess isn't it it's your creed it's your it's what helps you it's the great yeah. shame isn't it i mean a lot of what religion does is that yeah for a lot of people and it's the people that use it for terrible th- means that actually are the ones that sort of have, have spoiled the entire concept but when you talk to someone who's beautifully religious you go yeah. god that is i wish i could do that sometimes that's quite yeah that's quite lovely yeah absolutely and there's so many elements of the catholic church which are really camp as well <laughs> oh yeah so like yeah. let's have the rosaries let's have the you know the crying blood and all that lovely lovely <laughs> stuff great art why should they get to keep it locked up in the vatican it's fabulous lovely color schemes yeah. as well lovely color schemes all red and gold exactly. oh yeah i love the gold <laughs> And everything's so decorated all the time. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Robes. The Catholic Church did not abide by Coco Chanel's adage, did they? They were like, put no. another accessory another, on. More. More. Robes for days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A mitre is an inherently camp hat. <laughs> the Pope is the ultimate diva. <laughs> I wish you said that as your answer. Who's your final idea? The Pope? Imagine. <laughs> to be fair, white smoke could be swapped in for dry ice. Hey, yeah, it's not far off. Next time they're choosing one, we'll be there. Yeah. The balcony as well and the crowd. Yes. Like, it really does lend itself. It's such a performance. It's gone back to Evita. <laughs> yeah. Gaga for Pope. <laughs> Gaga. Oh. In a Vatican adaptation of... <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God! An immersive (laughs) production in Vatican City. Oh, lovely. Oh, right. Okay, I'm going to bring the mood down. I'm afraid. (laughs) Back Um, to Marsha. Back to Marsha. Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's about this light and shade, isn't it? Because she's she always seems to find a way through the darkness with this incredible lightness of spirit. Um, So I'm going to trigger warning for everybody. Um, I'm now going to mention the sexual abuse of a child and use language relating to sexual assault in addition to using Marsha's dead name. So if you would like to, I would maybe skip on for two minutes. So Marsha, then Malcolm Michaels Jr., began experimenting with wearing women's clothes at the age of five, but stopped initially because the other boys in the neighbourhood would bully and sexually harass her. Uh, When she was not yet in her teens, she was raped by a 13-year-old boy. Again, in this 1992 interview, she says that she was incredibly naive until this point and hadn't even yet heard of penetrative sex acts. And subsequent to the attack, she chose to remain celibate until she was 17. (laughs) Yeah, pretty rough. Wow. 
So she graduated high school, came to New York City with 15 bucks and a bag of clothes and started to make a name for herself around the village. The name was initially Black Marsha. She was active in the Black Liberation Movement and evolved to Marsha P for Pay It No Mind in reference to her gender expression, Johnson, in reference to the motel on 42nd Street. Carrot, when you first came to Earth, which city did you gravitate towards? <laughs> London. London. Uh, London. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Yes. Did it feel I like grew a... up, I, I think it's quite a, a common like queer story of mm. the person in the small town with the s- people with the small minds moved to the big city with big dreams and big ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, every I, it's you see it constantly repeated throughout history even hundreds of years back yeah. they were doing that oh, so really? it's yeah. still happening it's <laughs> happening for me today amazing like napkin on a, on a stick off we go to to, to mm. the big city kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. it's it, yes what would be what was your nearest big city growing up then was it i grew up in guildford oh right okay is, so london um, then yeah, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know, Guildford <laughs> is just halfway between Portsmouth and London. It's a very historic town, mm. as and it's got a, a deep history rooted in um, as a stopover, basically. <laughs> <laughs> a halfway so, house. So it's kind of like it has a lot of history of just people being there for a night and then going on. <laughs> a deep and rich um, history of transient yeah. people. <laughs> for like a thousand years and that's it. What a wonderful legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only time I've ever been to Guildford is on tour and it's always been, it has felt a little bit like that, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's just very beige place, full of middle class wankers. <laughs> <laughs> hope you're all listening yeah. <laughs> they're not don't worry no, fair <laughs> so this might be quite a good opportunity to talk about Marsha's gender expression and the mm-hmm. terms with which she defined herself so indeed the evolution of terminology in general I guess so in the late 60s as, as you will know Carrot but for our listenership um, Queen impu- encompassed drag and effeminacy and sexuality and Marsha never identified as transgender the term wasn't in broad usage she would use variously transvestite queen or gay um, so I, I, obviously I don't want to project onto Marsha anything um, but Susan Stryker uh, has posited that she would probably have been more comfortable with gender non-conforming if the term had existed mm. I think that's I think that's a fair enough punt, really, to say that. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic. I feel like um, a a lot of people assume she's a trans woman. Yeah. Always, all the time. Yeah. Um, And it's, I mean, it's not problematic to assume that, really, but because we don't know. Yes. um, You know, it's as problematic to assume she's a trans woman as it is to assume she would like to assume any identity. Exactly. We don't don't know. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, I think it's nice to think like she would have been happy to present as gender non-conforming and non-binary yeah. nowadays, yeah. now that those things exist more in the mainstream. And yeah, so I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think, yeah, we'll give that's it's, it's, it's so I'm so looking forward to your podcast, actually, to think about this idea. exactly as you say. It's just if, if she'd had that terminology, we could have she might have used it, but we're going to go with the words she used about herself and read mm. between the lines here and there and i presume like yeah. when, when you're going through your podcast and stuff if you're you're searching out historical figures is this a kind of you've done some mm. research and sort of dug out people who have made statements that have sort of uh, sort of gone close enough to the 
to the term non-binary for your kind of satisfaction or yeah that's what we go we go i'm going for gender fluidity and Mm -hmm. gender non-conformity and so and for me that's enough to be able to use a they them pronoun Mm -hmm. to just presume you know yeah like they they wouldn't they wouldn't have minded even if they don't conform with the they them pronouns and i feel like this for most people in general nowadays don't mind a they them pronoun even if it's not the only one they use yes yes yeah exactly so people have become increasingly familiar with the image of Marsha that has now become iconic, her smiling, made-up face haloed by flowers. For those who may not have seen many more images of Marsha beyond that one, Kara, I, uh, I wondered if you had any thoughts about the way that Marsha expressed her gender through the way that she dressed. So the flowers um, were often leftovers from cafes, apparently. Mm-hmm. Christmas lights in her hair, makeup was intentionally not high drag. Um, yeah, is there sort of, what can you, what can you give us about that? I love it. Yeah. I think she she always um it's like she said she did what she wanted. Yeah. She did, like she the the way she dressed and the things she the way she presented herself was what she wanted to do and that's what the whole pay it no mind was all about. It doesn't mm. matter what people think. Yeah. It doesn't matter how she's perceived. It's she'll wear what she wants and mm. like feel and wear what she feels happiest and most fabulous in. Yeah. Um and that's something that I think needs to be carried more into mm. drag and and the queer community and I guess life in general. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. like you know, yeah, I was yeah. It's a it's a great. That's what that's what makes Marsha such a great diva. Is that unapologetic? I I will wear what makes me happy, and I don't care how it makes you feel. Yeah, no, exactly. It's the perfect encapsulation of our attitude, isn't it? It really is. And I think you're so right about how we need to really hang on to that because so far, and I think it's a real shame about how um, the success of RuPaul's Drag Race has, it has a, an, a, it has a disadvantage in that mm. it's, a lot of people now have their thoughts about what quote-unquote drag is. And mm. like as the series becomes kind of beer moth that kind of barrels along, and it's like, oh well, you have you know, we don't they don't use this word anymore very much, but like in the early series, the quote unquote fishiness as was really toxic, and yeah, and it seems like now because it's so popular, a lot of people have got an opinion about what they think high drag is or good drag is, and mm. even at the time, I think Marsha, there were a couple of raised eyebrows from other other queens yeah but she was saying pay it no mind and that is what it should be about Mm -hmm. isn't it it's about it's about how you feel fabulous yeah Yeah. definitely yeah we see we definitely see a a rule book that's being written but we we don't need a rule book it's like drag is not a rule book drag is not a set of rules that you have to can like tick off yeah exactly it's it's like it's how you feel and Yeah. yeah and she obviously felt or presented as feeling and fabulous. Yes. Like when you said you were saying earlier about we talk about what you know what is a diva and you're saying you, you walk onto that stage and you present this attitude that goes you know I don't care what you think and mm. uh, this is me take it or leave it and I was about to add and looking fabulous and then I was like uh, is that I don't know like is it because it, does it make it seem like it's about appearance so much but right, actually yeah. looking fabulous is doesn't matter whether you are you know, I don't know, what's a, uh, Alyssa Edwards or someone like that. Yeah. Who just, you know, with the yeah. ultimate makeup and the hair and the, you know, mm. um, that sort of look. Or if you've got something in, completely insane on or like, or, to, or it's something that is completely out there and not in any way 
it doesn't even need to necessarily be like entirely feminine or yeah. it doesn't need to present anything yeah. in particular. It's what you come on and you say, this is what this is. And that's yeah. what yeah, I am. Yeah, it's how you feel. Yeah. yeah the bo- exactly the bottom saying. line of it is like beauty and fabulousness and divaness is subjective. Absolutely. So what one person might see as fabulous diva, the other might see as like trashy. It's <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't matter. So it's like how it's how the person feels and then other people can take from that whatever they want yeah yeah but crucially it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) to them yeah yeah it doesn't matter to them yeah so just to reiterate how young she is when she first arrives in new york city she's 17 Mm -hmm. um and she starts becoming known around town and this is obviously quite a complicated environment for for gay youth um Mm -hmm. homosexuality was illegal until until 2003 in the states and there just wasn't a space for for young gay people even in greenwich village or hey ashbury in san francisco there was the street or there was the bar <laughs> where you could meet someone to take you to their home for the night. And obviously a lot of people participated in sex work and still do as a means of survival, which is obviously quite a tricky area because Martha, she's still, she's 17. She's still a child. So that when she's first in, in New York, what's happening to her is, is sex, it's child sex exploitation. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of di- tricky areas around for her, her early life, aren't there? Yeah, it's it's a it's a grey area, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. She's obviously moved there to be safer. Yeah. But she's or fit or to get away from, you know, a dangerous situation. Yeah. But there isn't a safe situation to go into. No. So it's kind of yeah, it is a grey area and yeah. it is difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's not like there was a biker growth for queer youth in Greenwich Village in the late yeah. <laughs> 60s. That would, nice. that would have been lovely, wouldn't it? But the further we get away from it, it does feel like that's starting to become like sort of a narrative almost. It's almost yeah. like, oh yeah, but they had the village and it's that, yeah. there's that sort of narrative forming around this idea that it was this safe space you're safe and you're now. like, that's that wasn't safe. Like yeah. it's still yeah. deeply unsafe yeah. and for a lot of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's complicated. Um, because amongst the darkness, there is very real light, and she meets her chosen family. Sylvia, who we'll be focusing on in episode two, and other political performance groups such as the Hot Peaches and the Angels of Light, uh, a New York City branch of the Coquettes, who were a brilliantly ramshackle dry, uh, DIY gender-fluid performance collective from Hate ashbury Sidebar, the Coquettes became internationally infamous with a film called Trisha's Wedding in 1971, <laughs> in which they've reenacted Trisha Nixon's wedding to Edward Cox. It's on YouTube. Treat yourselves. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. There's also fun. some amazing talking heads from uh, those performers um, and footage of Marsha performing in both uh, Casino and French's films. Um, yeah, there's a great, great documentary about the Coquettes. If anyone hasn't hasn't watched it, it's you can buy it on Amazon or Google Prime, Google Play, I think. And it's just a hoot. They're just this absolute bunch of brilliant maniacs. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Oh my yeah, god, I've actually it. heard of it. So that, yeah, I'll definitely be looking at. You'd love it. It's yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah. I can't re- high. I don't want to spoil it. Hard recommend. <laughs> That's tonight's watching. There you go. And actually, <laughs> and actually it's not too sad either. So that's quite nice. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And here we now find ourselves 
at the Stonewall riots. <laughs> so, um, lots been said oh, about well. it. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Guys, I think we're going to give the definitive rundown of the Stonewall riots now, right? Strap I don't think in. anyone's done it up until now. Yeah, yeah, we're the only ones that ever covered it. Um, so, <laughs> obviously, a lot's been said and written, and there's lots of really in-depth discussions. I would direct people to Eric Marcus's uh, amazing podcast, Making Gay History, and uh, the You're Wrong About Stonewall podcast is absolutely amazing. Um Carrot, was there a point at which you can remember hearing about Stonewall for the first time? There was, yeah. I was in my first year of uni, wow. I, so I was 18. I didn't learn about any sort of gay liberation until I moved to London um, and sort it out myself, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I started to become involved with Pride in London. I did some volunteering for them like to, on the social media team or something yeah. on, at the event. So I... Um, because of my involvement in that, I found myself researching where it came from because I was like, what is this thing that's pride that happens? And then I found out where it came from and then I read about where it originated from yeah. and then from there just continued to do more research and took modules in queer performance and histories and all that sort of thing in my degree. Amazing, amazing. And w did Stonewall, the charity, facilitate that as well? Or was that the more the university? A little bit, yeah. yeah. It was more like, uh, I I didn't find out about Stonewall because of them, but it was more like I'd heard of Stonewall before and then the dots were joined when I realised why they were called that. Yeah, and you had to go and hunt it out for yourself again, which is... Yeah, there was. I never had anything in school about it or anything like that at all. Not a thing. Yeah. Um, I'd, yeah, I think we were taught like bad sex education, and that's about it, really. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, obviously, we're we're all the generation. We're not the one that ones that were directly aff affected by Thatcher's horrendous pol policies. But it wasn't much yeah. better, was it, in the nineties and the two thousands? Right. <laughs> no, have anything I, to do with it? Like they all make sure oh, that absolutely. continues to happen. Yeah. That's yeah, plan. I think Section 28 stuck around until like 2003 or yeah, something. Yeah. So, and, and this was about 2009, mm. I was doing sex ed. Yeah. So it was like, it, I, the teachers that were teaching then were still teaching, yeah. you know, when yeah. we were. So it's, yeah, it's an ongoing thing, I think. Absolutely. I don't know if it's how resolved it even is, but people have access to the internet now, so that's good. <laughs> Thank yeah. fuck, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Scotland repealed it in 2000. Did they? Three years before. They're always yeah. one step ahead. One step ahead. But the Lords defeated Blair's attempts to repeal it um, in 2003 and they, uh, until 2003. And um, were on record as well that Johnson, who actually made a comment about it at the time in one of his columns, said something along the lines of, it, um, we shouldn't be teaching kids in school this ridiculous notion that homosexual marriage is the same as a normal marriage. Piece of shit. I mean, that's the current prime minister. Just to remind <laughs> fucking everyone. Yeah. yeah. I know that no one that listens to this podcast really... Yeah, no it's one's It's not going like... to change anyone's mind, but... <laughs> I was going to vote for them until oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, now I'm not. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, but that, again, it but is... never forget. Keep holding the, the feet to the coals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah very well said. Um, okay, well, for those who don't know as much about it, Tom, do you want to give us a potted history of the Stonewall riots? A tiny potted history. The Stonewall Inn <laughs> is a gay bar in the West Village on Christopher Street in New York City. In the 1960s, in addition to homosexuality being illegal, it was illegal for gay bars to have a liquor licence. So in order to gather, the community were necessitated to break the law so that they could be together without getting harassed. And that was only until the police actually turned up. 
Right. So the cops regularly raided the bars around the village, but generally mm. earlier on in the evening. They had quotas to fill, and breaking up a gathering in a gay bar was an easy way to facilitate that. They take their pay off from the bar, tips from the bar staff, and generally they just sort of fuck off. Uh, but they were also being paid off by the mob. So in Stonewall's case, it was a mobster whose literal name was Fat Tony. Cannot believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Can it's you amazing. imagine? Like, what should I call myself? Hmm. <laughs> oh, I bet he was really thin as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lovely ironic mobster name. <laughs> they, they're known for their irony, the mob, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Big Vinny or something. <laughs> so to quote David Carter's very influential book, Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution, which was published in 2004, by 1966, over 100 men were arrested each week for homosexual solicitation as a result of police entrapment. In the mid-1960s, the very time when a wave of freedom, openness and demand for change was cresting, New York City increased its enforcement of anti-homosexual laws to such an extent that it amounted to an attempt to impose police state conditions onto a homosexual ghetto. So, that's where we are. That's where we are. That's where we are at the time. There are myriad versions of what actually happened on June the 28th, 1969 and the subsequent days. Broadly, what has been agreed upon is that patrons of the Stonewall Uh, were joined by other gay rights activists in a series of violent clashes with the police in which the cops used excessive force. Seymour Pine, the police officer who led the raid, acknowledged and apologised for the use of excessive force in 2004. So that is on record. The question of who threw the first brick slash flaming shot are very much up in the air. Yeah, I mean, so much of the narrative around Stonewall, isn't it, is about who started it. And you kind of go, does it matter? Yeah, no, yeah, not at all. I don't think yeah. it really does. I mean, but I guess just to kind of, just to, to wade in for a second about does it matter who was there, who started it? I mean, a lot of the mythology around Sylvia is that, she, it, Marcia is that she started it. Mm. Um, and she's a, a beautiful icon for the for the for the movement for the night you can put that image of of marcia to it and and you kind of go look someone's smiling with beautiful colors in their hair and go this is what we got out of the movement was more marshes so wouldn't it be great if she started it that's one argument for it i guess um yeah yeah, I mean, whether, I mean, Silv- Sylvia Rivera potentially wasn't even there is another thing I, I mean, said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't even know if they were, like, there really. Yeah. Like, no, like exact evidence to put, put them there, like pictures or anything or videos. It's just sort of like, you know, but I think it's the, what matters is the, the, the signifiers, the, yeah. the, the, Brand, not brand. There's a word that I'm looking for. Yeah, I know for. what you mean. Yeah, but the, the icon, the um, whatever it's called. Yeah, the Mockingjay. That, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. That, <laughs> that um, started the revolution. Mm. And, and it's um, yeah, that's what that's that's what's important, and yeah. that still lives on today. Exactly. It doesn't matter who it was, and who actually did it, and who, you know, if the person that actually did the first brick wanted everyone to know it was them they would we would know probably yeah i imagine yeah exactly i, I mean so it's i don't know yeah i feel like they took what that feeling and they ran with it yes so, like Marsha and sylvia exactly and um, so that i think we can definitely call them almost faces of it yeah faces exactly. of it yeah, yeah. Rather than necessarily necessarily like a historical factual person that did a thing they, yeah, they exactly. Were, yeah, yeah, icons of it, like Stormy Delavery, like yeah. who we will be doing an episode on in the future. Yes, 
um, like you said, would be the exact person if they'd done it, which they were rumoured to have done, yeah. would have just said, oh, no, that was me. That was definitely me. Yeah. That yeah. was totally me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But they didn't. So... Yeah. I mean, there's also an argument for it, like, if it was Marsha who threw the first punch, whatever, she wouldn't want to get the heat from the cops, maybe. But mm-hmm. she she yeah. never really said it. She was like, I was, they had already started by the time I turned up. <laughs> like, <laughs> two, back to two o'clock in the morning, she said. Yeah, she was like, yeah exactly. been somewhere else. And it was already on fire. Yeah. Isn't that what she said? But also, like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, we talk about binaries, and you, you were talking about earlier, Carrot, about smashing the binaries and, like, and stopping us from going into this because the more we push ourselves into binaries the more complicated mm. life seems to become and and how actually like it's more beautiful every time you take apart those things and this isn't a binary but it's still more like people it's more evidence of people gravitating mm. towards simplicity and yeah. just going i need a thing and i need the box and or the defined image or the thing and then that will explain it and then i can but the problem is that we've seen time and time again, every time someone tries to do that or says, Marsha did this or um, Stormy did this or, mm, or, or, Sylvia, or yeah. Sylvia, like it creates more problems. The more they say this person did this, the more people you leave out of the story in mm. the same way that anyone who says something like a drag queen through the first stone at Stonewall uh, or the first brick at Stonewall, yeah. you're, you're getting it wrong because you're trying to fit everything into a box. And it's just, it's not, the, yeah. it's not the point doesn't need to be yeah it doesn't need to be you know this happened like at 2 a.m and then this happened at 203 it's like you know we know a revolution happened it was a bunch of queers yeah and like non-binary people and um and it continued on for the following months and then years after that led by people like sylvia and marsha exactly that's so well put it's exactly that isn't it perfect and I mean, I think there's also been efforts because of Marsha's mental health, struggle with mental health and her mm. gender expression. I think there were definitely people who wrote her out of the narrative mm. for a bit. But it's exactly what you're saying. Like these people are emblematic of what this what this movement represented and represents to this day. Yeah. Um one bit, one thing I absolutely live for. Did you know that, um, you, I'm sure you do know this, Carrot, but do you know that it, Tupac's mum was involved in the Stonewall riots? I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that. So, That's amazing. Isn't that meant? So it was when they, they started perp walking them when they got them out of the bar. And, mm. and at this point, I think they largely agree that an unidentified trans woman hit a cop with a handbag. And... Um, it could have been Marsha, it could have been Sylvia, it could be anybody. No one knows who it was. Uh, but across the road, there was a women's detention centre. And Athene, Tupac's mum, who was in the Black Panthers, was incarcerated at the time. And they saw what was happening. They started chucking stones over the road. Ah, oh, that's so fun. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that there there is always these these shows of allyship between yeah. different liberation movements that all happen at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's Intersectionality really cool. in action. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 If only she told her son to be a bit less homophobic and misogynist. But you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fabulous well shall we have a little break we'll have a little break there and in the real world carrot we'd have loved to have you around at our home and we would have given you a little snack at this point we like to give a little extra snack because we're quite extra i couldn't (laughs) find anything to do with what marcia liked to eat so this is a reach um i would have given you some clams because that's what the howard johnson chain that marcia took her name from were famous for 
So there you go. You'd have had a clam dinner. That is a reach. That's a reach. Ooh. That is a reach. Do you like clams? That is a, that is a reach. I'm actually a vegetarian. Oh, no clams no. for you. <laughs> I'd, I'd have fashioned a vegan clam. That would have been absolutely appalling. So. Fabulous. Well, we'll have a little break and we get back. We shall talk about post Stonewall Marsha. And we're back. So we delved in the first part into the, why the narrative of the Stone of Stonewall has been rewritten to place Marsha at the centre. Uh, Stonewall has also been heralded as the birth of gay rights, and there was already a nascent gay rights movement, but it was also, of course, a time of increased civil and human rights activism. That being said, Stonewall absolutely did change the game. Mm-hmm. The summer after the riots, the first official gay New York Pride Parade took place to mark the anniversary of the uprising. Marsha joined the Gay Liberation Front, and in August 1970, she staged a sit-in at NYU after members of the faculty cancelled a dance which was sponsored by gay organisations. Oh, I love her so much. <laughs> So Marsha and Sylvia, again, we're going to cover Sylvia much more in episode two, already very politically active prior to Stonewall, became much more visible in the movement. And in 1970, they established Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, STAR. In 1972, they established STAR House, a shelter for gay and trans street kids. Uh, Sylvia and Marsha paid the rent for it with money they made themselves as sex workers so the vulnerable youth they took in didn't have to do it themselves. I mean... It's no wonder yes. they're held as sort of saintly figures, is it? Like just yeah, I love Star House and oh. that that whole thing. It's so fun. It's like so I want to go and live there. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound amazing, doesn't it? Like um, if you see any footage of them from around that time as well, it just seems like this kind of this is the the it is a chosen family, and and mm-hmm. she's got always got a, like Sylvie's always got a pot going in the corner, and they're coming in and like. Yeah. Just, just no questions asked, acceptance and love <laughs> and the self-sacrifice of that, of, of from the backgrounds that they had as well. You know, we haven't we talked about Sylvia this week, but like with Marsha's background with um abuse and uh and sex work, to, to just go, no, we'll do that, we'll take that on so that we can keep these kids safe when no safe one kept from us that. safe. Yeah. So in 1973, it was a crucial year for both Sylvia and Marsha. The Gay Liberation Front became fractured and decided that drag queens and trans women were giving the movement a bad name. A backroom deal was brokered which excluded trans rights from the Civil Rights Bill of that year, and Sylvia and Marsha were banned from that year's Pride Parade. Their response? To march ahead of the parade. (sighs) But how incredibly painful. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) What an awful thing to do. What a just... Yeah unspeakably terrible thing to do this is yeah i mean yeah something that's continued that continues to be repeated a lot yeah yeah exactly we spoke to uh, peaches christ a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about uh, growing up and being a drag queen in the sort of in the 90s yeah and kind of still feeling like you know in her words saying like the sweater gays were the ones that didn't want anything to do with drag queens because they felt like they were giving them a bad name mm. because they wanted to be like the straights. Like it was sort of yeah, trying to emulate that heterosexual yeah. lifestyle that they thought. And they, yeah. And they were like, but, you're bringing us down. And it's like, just come on. Yeah. Yeah. And that still exists. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, yeah. I, all that comes to mind is gay Tories. How is that a thing? Sure. How is that a thing? 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> for so long as well. I mean, yeah, and but it's it goes the same like the rise of the the turf movement, mm. trans exclusionary radical feminism. For anybody who doesn't know what that means, um, yeah, it's there's the whole. You have a lot of like gays, slightly older gays as well. Um, to name a name, James Dreyfus. Yeah, heard of him? Yeah, is a big turf and gay man and mm. um, coming out you know against pronouns and against like alternative genders mm. and it's yeah it's like these people are feeling th threatened by change but they change caused them to be able to live the life that they have yeah so it's almost like they feel like they now don't want to lose whatever privilege they've got mm, or something mm. or don't want to accept that they have privilege. It's, yeah. yeah. It's a, that's the defining it, characteristic of a gay Tory, though. That's the defining characteristic of a Tory pulling <laughs> yeah, up the exactly. drawbridge. Yeah. You've exactly. made it to the top of the ladder and then you just home alone to the ladder and let everyone <laughs> fall down into the pit that you've dug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's that like that, that culture, isn't it? There's not enough. Like there, there could be more than enough. There's an, there's no finite, <laughs> there's not an, an, a finite number on on freedom. You can just, just let other people have some of it. It's not going to impact on you at all to to a allow people to express themselves. People's insistence yeah. on defining what is too far. Yeah. <laughs> Too far yeah. implies that there's a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the cut. What is that? Where is <laughs> yes. that? Yeah, when it comes to equality, like it, m most people should believe in equality. So why then do these people like not fit into that? Yeah. Like pride is about equality. Campaigning, if you're campaigning for gay rights, you're also campaigning for all other minorities' rights. It's yeah. all about equality. Yeah. You know, none of us are free until we all are, etc. Exactly. Well said. So true. Um yeah, and, and the seventies was a was a period of de radicalization as well, which is, you know, after the kind of mm. the, the the massive peaks of it in the sixties, it's the beginning of mass incarceration in the States and the rise of the Christian right. Um and in this time Marsha was arrested for solicitation and she hit the arresting officers with her handbag. So the, the handbag did have bricks in it. <laughs> Crucially. Crucially. Uh, in court, she said that she needed the money to buy a tombstone for her husband who had been shot by a pig. Um, unclear as to who the person she's referring to is, actually couldn't, couldn't find any information about who that person was. Um, she was initially sentenced to 90 days for assault. And Marsha's lawyer managed to convert this to a stay in Bellevue, which is the notorious mental health institution, which sadly Marsha was to become more familiar with. So the GAA once liberated her from Bellevue after she had a bad reaction to some hallucinogens, but there seems to have been increasing frustration and lack of tolerance for her mental health struggles, what David Carter labelled schizophrenia. So this is tricky because Carter did a lot of research and debunked a lot of homophobia around Stonewall, for instance. He was the person that... Um, eradicated that long-held belief that Stonewall started as a result of Judy Garland's funeral, um, which turned out to be complete, you know, just under-the-radar homophobia. Um, schizophrenia is obviously a historically loaded diagnosis for an LGBTQIA person, but Carter did find a lot of evidence in the darker side of Marsha, one which was more associated with her dead name, with Malcolm. Uh, his book reports Marsha returning to a more masculine, violent energy when she associated with Malcolm. So again, I think it's important to show icons, icons of the left, like we're warts and all, like we're gonna, we're not gonna eradicate the fact that there was a darker side 
to her character, um, to her to her personality, because we want to show the truth, right? Um, mm. But yeah, there's, there's it's it's always so uncomfortable when you see that in research, don't you? Like that that diagnosis, schizophrenia. You kind of go, was was it? Was it really? Or was mm. it? Yeah. What was going on there? And I guess again, who we we won't we don't know. No, and uh, you know when the when these reports are being written by people who are obviously biased, yes, um, in whatever way against her, yeah, whether that's you know the color of her skin, her sexuality, her gender, whatever, yeah, and um, they're obviously very biased in many ways. So it's difficult to su- suggest if any of it's true when, what's written in reports a lot of the time mm. exactly. if they're written by those people. Um, but we can imagine that you know, Marsha had a tough childhood and a difficult life and probably not any access to any therapy or mental health support for her whole entire life. So, of course, there's some issues there. Yeah, exactly. Like, undeniable. Yeah. 100%. And the people who loved her and knew her and were her friends have chosen to slightly curate the image and move it away from these darker Malcolm episodes. And I'm... I think it's important to mention them, but also maybe it's important to not. <laughs> like maybe we should just let them do it and just be like, what good does it do to bring up this this the dark stuff that haunted her and and made wasn't really her true character. But yeah, I was trying to be a good journalist. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's it's important to cover. You know, it's, she's only human. You yeah, know? that's it, like, isn't it? And um, yeah, and and. Like any celebrity, they present themselves in a way and, and there's things under the surface that we don't see until it's uncovered. But yes. it, it, it doesn't always need to be. Yeah. Exactly. So as we'll get into, Sylvia had left the village after the trauma of their rejection from the 1973 Pride Parade and Marsha was once again on the streets. Randy Wicker, another notable activist, took her in and they were very contented roommates in Hoboken, New Jersey, for 12 years until her tragic death. Marsha continued to be politically active throughout the 80s with ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. The impact of the first wave of the AIDS epidemic obviously cannot be underestimated. Marsha herself with an HIV positive diagnosis fought tirelessly to resist the whitewashing by cis white men of the gay rights movement, stating that as long as people with AIDS and as long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, there's no reason to celebrate. For Marsha, there was no individual fight for human rights, but only a collective one, prioritising mm-hmm. the needs of society's most vulnerable members. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's just always, always on the right side. I love her. She's just, she just knew yeah. her moral compass was just like, yeah, bang do on. not. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's like, it's kind of like exactly what we were saying exactly, earlier. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, we're not free until we all are. I yeah. think she's one of the strongest voices of that, mm. that saying, I think that phrase, I think of that and i think of her yeah it totally encompasses her 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 attitude doesn't it and and what she stood for Mm. but further sadly further evidence of the whitewashing and co-opting within the movement came in 1992 when george siegel's stonewall memorial of four white slim figures two male two female was unveiled she commented how many people have died for these two little statues to be put in the park to recognise gay people? How many years does it take for people to see that we're all brothers and sisters and human beings in the human race? I mean, how many years does it take for people to see that we're all in this rat race together? Yeah, It's just so 
ridiculously ironic, isn't it? That statue is just like, and you made it out of what white stone? Did you? Great, thanks. Thanks yeah, for that. Of course you did. <laughs> Literally whitewashing. <laughs> Literally. Like, do you have no concept of irony? Come on. <laughs> and it's quite a nice park. It's in a nice, you know. I've got no, it's no objection to it as a piece of art. It's quite pretty, but it's like it's just this is supposed to commemorate an event, which was. 100% not what you portrayed it as. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. just like, oh, this is our narrative now. Mm. Well, Didn't there, wasn't there a movie? Of Stonewall, yeah, with no black people oh, in yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Fucking we, we all boycotted that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that was a while ago now, wasn't it? A couple, yeah, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? it was yeah. Dreadful. Um, so there is some footage of Marsha from an interview she gave in late June 1992. Tragically, her fearless revolutionary spirit would be snuffed out just two weeks later. Marsha disappeared the evening after the New York Gay Parade and her body was found floating in the Hudson River. So the 6th Precinct Police shamefully ruled her death a suicide, ignoring multiple eyewitness reports that state Marsha was last seen being harassed by a group of men. A man was heard bragging about murdering a drag queen named Marsha, and there was also speculation that Marsha fell foul of the mob, as Randy Wicker had been making allegations about racketeering. Oi. Have you seen have you seen the film that's on Netflix? The uh, it's just so powerful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Um for it's... those who haven't, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson by David France. Um it's just yeah, it really does. It really paints a very clear picture of what happened with that um, mm. the woman who goes round and yes. the journey of exploring it. I love that. I did hear that 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 one on Netflix is a bit problematic mm. because it stole a lot of footage from a documentary made by a person of color about Marsha in the past. Or something and without permission. Right. I don't. I didn't fully look into it, um, but it's worth considering yes, when watching on. that. Definitely. That, um, it's it's obviously got some sort of bias there, or something's yeah. not quite right about it. But yeah. still, it's really cool. Um, it, well, not cool. It's an interesting documentary. Yeah, yeah. and it definitely shed lights on it. That's really interesting. I didn't know that actually about them nicking the footage. We should look into that. Um, yeah, and Victoria Cruz, the woman who's kind of at the centre of the, the lobbying. That's the one. She is amazing. Yeah. Mm. What a powerhouse. Just uh, just a fearless advocate for what was right. And Yeah. Uh, oh, so good. And um, Randy Wicker's in it, obviously, as well, and, and members of Marsha's family. Mm. Um, and because of them, the NYPD did reopen the case in 2012. Uh, unfortunately, despite some credible leads that were raised in the film, we still... We do not know who who took her life, but the case is still open. So yeah, and at least it's not not now considered to be a suicide, which was just yeah. you know laughable. It was, palpably wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least at the very least, I th- I seem to remember there um, her calling up to see some records, and the records were always missing or yes, yeah, empty or blank or you know, and it's just that bias coming up again and again of like well it doesn't matter who cares you yeah know? exactly and it's, it's it's horrible it's, it's horrible it's outrageous and yeah it, it would you see that's i think that's that's something that's interesting to that the image of, of Marsha, which has been 
you know, you probably find in Goodnight Stories of Rebel Girls now and stuff. And it's been kind of almost like mm. a pop cultural image is 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 wonderful. And that is the leg a great legacy and a legacy associated with hope and brightness and joy. But there is this there's huge injustice that and she still is she still hasn't received justice, which is heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah. And the news of her death devastated the New York uh, LGBTQ plus community. Her funeral was attended by hundreds of mourners and 7th Avenue was closed down in a vibrant procession that carried her ashes down to the river. And Marsha's tragic death reminds us that the life expectancy for trans women of colour is 35. 35. And that the trans experience is all too often marked by extreme violence. However, her life and her legacy remind us of the power of protest and the importance of intersectional resistance. In her words, no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. Oh, so that's Marsha. That's the life of one times of wonderful Marsha P. Johnson. You know what? Yeah, that she is an ultimate diva. Isn't and that, she? That, that send-off sounds like an ultimate diva send-off. To right. Me. Do you know what? Big... Liza should be so lucky. Yeah, oh, Liza's yeah. going to be big. <laughs> I'd have loved to have been there. Unless she doesn't been... get incinerated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the party that night, though? Oh, it would have been great. Imagine to yeah. celebrate Marsha. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Carrot. I mean, this brings mm. us to plugs and hugs. So we mentioned oh. the NB show at the beginning. Obviously, we can't hug you because there's this, this stupid pandemic. But virtual hug. And yeah, yes. where can people find you? You can find me on at carrot drag on everything because consistency is important very and strong brand still repping that brand <laughs> yeah absolutely um and you can also follow at the mb show yes. on mm. most things not everything <laughs> you know the things you all yeah, know the most things, things. <laughs> i mean things it's not it on tiktok yet but <laughs> not yet oh, yeah. well, i've yet to embrace we'll the tiktok <laughs> the tiktok haunts me it's like sort of black dog in the corner of the room that's sort of like growling at me it's like equal parts horrific and addictive yeah exactly like lovely booze <laughs> yes. yes maybe that's where they go so well together. there you go symbiosis <laughs> horrific and addictive <laughs> amazing well thank you so much my love that was so much fun yes it was it was a lot of fun thank you oh, i really no, enjoyed thank it thank you so much for coming on we hope you enjoyed this episode of big diva energy if you did and you want to reach out and have a chat share your bde stories with us or just tell us which diva means the most to you you can tweet us at diva energy find us on instagram at big diva energy or facebook big diva energy pod or email us at big diva energy pod at gmail.com this podcast is a Dark Matters production. If we did you proud, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you'd rather pay us no mind, just, just fuck, fuck off. off. Bye. 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 Bye.